This is Blankenship on Trial, West Virginia Public Broadcasting's podcast about former Massey CEO Don Blankenship and the Upper Big Branch Mine Disaster. I'm Scott Finn, Executive Director at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. We'll look at the evidence, the arguments, and why it matters. This is Blankenship on Trial. I'm Scott Finn. Jury selection began in Charleston today in the trial of former Massey CEO Don Blankenship. He's charged with conspiring to violate federal mine safety standards and lying to investors about his company's safety record after the Upper Big Branch mine disaster. Ashton Mara, our reporter, was there today. Ashton set the scene outside the federal courthouse in Charleston. I arrived early this morning, probably around 8.15 or so, and of course all of the media were gathered outside of the courthouse. Uh, We were sitting outside, and Don Blankenship himself pulled up in a minivan around 8.30, 8.35. As he got out of the car, he was escorted into the courthouse by three police officers and his attorneys. He didn't answer, answer any reporters' questions, but somebody did shout out, are you maintaining your innocence? And Blankenship responded with a big yes and smiled for all of the local TV cameras. One of the big questions today, Ashton, was will families and the media be allowed to see jury selection? What happened with that? Right. So going into today, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to see anything at all. What they ended up doing was using an overflow room, so a courtroom across the hall, and they set up three large TV monitors. We were told that we were not allowed in the courtroom. And when I say we, I mean myself, other members of the media, and the family members of those who died at at Upper Big Branch. We were told we weren't allowed in the courtroom because there wasn't enough room for us. Um, Does that appear to be the case? I mean, could you see empty uh, spaces in the courtroom or or was it pretty crowded? That's the thing is that we couldn't see. All we could see was the judge's bench. We could see a couple of the jurors, but there wasn't much to be seen and there was literally almost nothing to be heard. The judge asked a few initial questions to the whole group, things that were very general. Do you know any of the attorneys standing at this table? Do you know Don Blankenship personally? Those kinds of questions. Um, After she asked those general questions to the group, she started pulling potential jurors up to the bench one by one. And we are assuming that she was asking them questions from the survey that they sent to the 300 potential jurors earlier this year. So Ashton, you, other media and family members are in this separate room watching this proceeding, but not really being able to tell what's going on. What was the reaction of the other people in the room to this? I think it's safe to say that there were a few members of the media who were very annoyed with the fact that they couldn't hear anything. The family members at first were confused about why they weren't allowed to see or hear any part of it. There was one family member in particular who asked one of the marshals, you know, why why can't we hear? Why can't we see? And the marshals gave the same response. There's not enough room in the courtroom. I should disclose that the Charleston Gazette-Mail and West Virginia Public Broadcasting have filed a legal motion asking to be allowed into the courtroom and also to see some exhibits that are going to be at trial. But that motion is still pending in front of Judge Berger. Ashton, anything else from today? Any other impressions? You know, today was a little bit of a frustrating day as a member of the media. It would have been nice to have at least been in the courtroom to to have been able to see Don Blankenship's reactions, how he felt throughout the day, even just a simple number to know how many jurors were in that room, how many jurors had been excused. That would have been an easy thing for us to see had we been sitting there. Myself, Ken Ward from the Charleston Gazette-Mail and Jonathan Matice from the Associated Press spoke briefly with U.S. Attorney Booth Goodwin 
after the day was had been wrapped up. And he said, you know, this is still an open court. Uh, the jurors themselves have a right to privacy when we're asking them personal questions. Uh, Ken Ward did push a little bit, and he said, well, then are you asking personal questions when you draw them up to the bench? And Booth's response was, that's not a question that I can answer. So a little bit of a frustrating day, at least from the perspective of a member of the media and from some of the members of the families that I spoke with. Ashton Mara, our reporter from West Virginia Public Broadcasting, who plans to be there for the entire trial. Check out her coverage on our website, wvpublic.org, where we have an ongoing and updated blog and lots and lots of stories about this case. Ashton, thanks for coming on board. I appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. This is Blankenship on Trial. I'm Scott Finn. And if you've gone to our webpage with our Blankenship coverage, you can find a 2005 documentary from West Virginia Public Broadcasting called The Kingmaker. And it focuses on Don Blankenship and specifically his campaign at the time to help reshape West Virginia's political scene, uh, particularly in a more conservative direction. Charleston Gazette Mail political reporter David Gutman, he looked at that legacy of political change 10 years later. And uh, Dave Gutman is here with us. Dave, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So uh, set us up for us. Tell us what was Don Blankenship trying to do about 10 years ago when he was becoming a major player in politics? Well, at the time, uh, I think it's important to understand that the Republican Party in West Virginia was really not in a good place, um, that Democrats had controlled the state for decades. And the uh, the Republican Party was really not very functional or effective. And uh, Don Blankenship almost kind of stepped in by himself and and, and filled the role of a state party. Uh, I mean, in 2002, he, he gave $100,000 so that the party could build itself a new headquarters. Um, he gave that money just days before donations of that kind were outlawed. And then over the next several years, his uh, his political donations just absolutely dwarfed any other Republican in the state, probably any other any any other Democrat as well. well and the big, biggest example of that, of course, is the 2004 Supreme Court race. It made national headlines. He, through a front group called And for the Sake of the Kids, gave somewhere around $3 million to uh, the campaign of Brenton Benjamin, who at the time was a, a political unknown. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't actually give the money to the Benjamin campaign. That that would have violated campaign finance laws. But yeah, he funded this political action committee called "And for the Sake of the Kids," uh, about three million dollars of his own money. About three three and a half million dollars total went to this group, and uh, and they bought billboards and TV ads. And um, most famously, there was a a TV ad that that ran over and over, accusing then Supreme Court Justice Warren McGraw. Of, of letting a child sex offender out of jail. And it worked. The funny thing, actually, 12 years later, is, is that Brent Benjamin is up for re-election this year on the Supreme Court. They're 12-year terms, so this is the first time he's up. And, and the, the folks that ran, and for the sake of the kids for Don Blankenship, are still very involved in state politics, and, and they no longer support Brent Benjamin. And we'll talk about some of those political operatives that Blankenship helped get their start. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to talk about his next big race, which was the 2006 election, when Blankenship tried to use that same political muscle and money 
to turn the legislature from Democrat to Republican. What happened that year? In the intervening years between 2004 and uh, and 2006, the state legislature passed a law basically saying, you know, if you're if you're going to spend all this money, your name's got to be on it. So so then most of the money that got spent in 2006, which he spent about 5.1 million dollars, was not through and for the sake of the kids. It had Don Blankenship's name right on it, and he spent all that money in in dozens of legislative races uh, trying to get Republicans elected to uh, to swing control of the state legislature and, and was just phenomenally unsuccessful. It's, it's hard to imagine a, a bigger waste of money. He spent $5.1 million and, and lost a, a handful of seats in, in both branches of the legislature. The Democrats at the time actually used this against the Republicans. They, they tied them in their own commercials to Don Blankenship and said that they were bought and sold essentially by this coal executive. Uh, do you think the conventional wisdom at the time, which was that this backfired on Don Blankenship, was correct? I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding, right? It, it, he, he didn't get anybody elected. Uh, the Democrats kept power. Um, so, I, yeah, I think there, there's a fair case to be made there, especially when you contrast it with the success he had in 2004 when, when the money he's, he spent was, was not in his own name, basically, was in the name of and for the sake of the kids. You write about three political operatives that Blankenship helped get their, get their start in West Virginia and what they're doing now. Uh, talk a little bit about them. Yeah, I, I think the, the key guy um, among the three is a guy named Greg Thomas, who's, who's been involved in politics in, in West Virginia for, for over a decade. And he was really uh, Blankenship's chief political consultant when when Blankenship spent five point one million dollars uh, in two thousand six, five million of that was spent through Greg Thomas or Greg Thomas's company, and he's still very much involved in Republican politics in West Virginia. He ran five Senate campaigns, six legislative campaigns last year, uh, winning all but one. He uh, he's now working with with Senate President Bill Cole and the Senate Majority Leader Mitch Carmichael to kind of establish a. Uh, West Virginia Senate Republican caucus, if you will, so kind of a, a network to help out um, challengers uh, and get more Republicans elected to the Senate. And, and in the inter- intervening years there, he, he ran West Virginia Citizens Against Lawsuit Abuse, which is a, uh, a nonprofit organization that, that does not disclose its donors, and it lobbies for, for legal reform in West Virginia and uh, spends hundreds of thousands of dollars per election. And then there's Rob Cornelius, right, who you uh, you in your article described him kind of like a political trickster almost. Yeah, R- Rob is a, uh, is a political operative. I, des- I did describe him as a political trickster. He, uh, he's the chairman of the Wood County Republican Party. He, uh, you know, he, he, he works to, uh, also to recruit candidates statewide, but he also, you know, is um, nothing illegal. I want. I want to hasten to say when I say tricks, I, I do mean tricks. He he files ethics complaints by the handful against Democratic uh, legislators, uh, most of which have have been dismissed without cause. He's filed thirty plus Freedom of Information Act requests with the governor's office in the ca- in the past couple years, trying to to dig up dirt or or politically useful information. But that's just kind of the kind of the political neighborhood he he tends to operate in. And the third one? Uh, the third one is is Roman Stouffer, who worked for Greg Thomas for years and now has kind of taken over for him at West Virginia Citizens Against Lawsuit Abuse. They spent, I want to say, nearly $300,000 in the, in the last campaign 
on on 50 plus uh, legislative races, uh, running ads, almost almost exclusively supporting Republican candidates. Um, let's go through some of Blankenship's priorities, his political priorities, and how they're doing. Tort reform. Tort reform was a very big one um, for Blankenship. It did very well. We we passed a handful of of tort reform bills this past legislative session. One of them, uh, a, a reform of the state's deliberate intent law actually had a public hearing in which a couple uh, surviving family members uh, from the Upper Big Branch disaster came and testified against it, saying, you know, if if we had had this bill in place five years ago when when our family members died and we, we filed lawsuits, it would have made things a lot more difficult. So his, his priorities um, in, in that way have gone through anyhow. What about tax reform? He was behind a bunch of commercials that wanted to see the elimination of the state food tax. In 2005, uh, he spent, I want to say, $400,000 in commercials campaigning against the food tax. And uh, within the next year or two, a a bill passed to cut the food tax in half. It was actually championed at the time um, by Democrats and by then-Governor Joe Manchin, who who has been a longtime foe of Blankenship's. And then a couple years later, uh, more legislation was passed, and the food tax is now completely gone. So... This is West Virginia has been voting Republican in presidential elections since 2000, and the legislature only flipped to Republican in 2014. So, did Blankenship help to hasten that, or did Blankenship actually slow down the day when the Republicans could take over? I'm not sure that's a question I can answer. Some of the folks who got their start working for him are still very much involved and deserve some of the credit for, for helping to switch the legislature. I, I don't want to overemphasize the role they played. Certainly a lot of southern states have switched Democrat to Republican. I mean, the same thing happened in, in Louisiana and Arkansas. Perhaps perhaps the, the reason it, it took so long is the, the state Democratic Party likes to talk about a West Virginia Democrat, and, and that's one of their big themes is that a West Virginia Democrat is different than a national Democrat. And so while the national Democratic Party has not been popular at all for for a number of years in in West Virginia, uh, that hasn't totally rubbed off on the state party until more recently. And, and I think we're starting to see that happen now. So, Dave, one last question. What do you see as Don Blankenship's ongoing legacy for the political scene in West Virginia? When political scholars look back on this 10, 20 years from now, what are they going to say was his impact? Well, I think what we've seen happen is many of the things that he fought for 10 plus years ago uh, have come to pass. Now, whether those things have come to pass because, you know, he he provided a spark that, that, you know, lit under the state party 10 years ago, I don't know. Have they, maybe he slowed them down? I, I don't know exactly why they've come to pass, but, you know, he, he obviously has, has for many years been a, uh, a big proponent of, of loosening regulations on, on the coal industry. He you know, famously once said that there are just some laws that coal operators cannot comply with. And for the first time ever last year, West Virginia passed a rollback of, of some mine safety laws that uh, the industry said were outdated. So I think it's probably giving him too much credit to say, you know, we passed that because Don Blankenship advocated for it a decade ago. But I think I think his ongoing legacy is that, to a large extent, what what he wanted uh, has come to pass. Ironically, now that he is uh, he has less power than he's probably had in decades when he's when he's on trial. 
and every indication is is that politics will be a part of this trial as well. Um, Blankenship has already brought up his criticisms of MSHA and the Obama administration uh, sort of as a preemptive strike, and we'll be sure to hear that more during the trial. David Gutman is a political reporter with the Charleston Gazette-Mail. David, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Blankenship on Trial is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Our theme music is by Matt Jackford. See illustrations from the trial, daily updates, and more on our website, wvpublic.org. And make sure you follow us on Twitter for the latest, at Ashton Mara and at WVPublicNews. Thanks for listening.